This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. All right, so we do this often, once a month, at least we try to, hang out with Dr. Westfall. Uh, we're going to double up this month and hang out with two Dr. Westfalls, right? In fact, we're just, this has been like a Westfall month. Yes. This is the fourth Westfall, or fourth Westfall segment. That's true. Mm-hmm. Fourth Westfall segment we've done in the last two weeks. Watch out. Can you believe that? Uh, no, I can't. Yeah, sure enough. Of course, yeah. uh, Adam Westfall was on the morning show and this show. Uh, but now what we're doing is having Dr. Mark Westfall here, and he has brought a guest with him who is also named Dr. Westfall. Dr. Mark, tell us uh, what is happening. It, it, it's, we're taking over. <laughs> yeah. Westphalia is what it's we'll call Westfall this. It's a Westfall pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. So, Apparently so. There you go. What we got is, you know, we've been doing this series of interviewing the um, scientists who are speaking at the McWain uh, Science on Screen. Yep series and they're in the fourth one so this is the fourth um of those and the next movie the movie's next week is contagion so if you don't know mm. i'm not giving a spoiler it's about a virus that goes uh throughout the universe throughout the world it, it's okay. contagious it's contagious mm-hmm, yeah. right so um they have a uh a director of of influenza from southern research uh, giving the talk, and we'll talk more about what all he does. But Dr. Landon Westfall, yeah. same last name, no relation. No relation. Of, not that we mm. know him. Okay. Um, but uh, Land, so we're going to go with Landon and, and Mark just for simplicity today. And so Landon's going to talk to us about what he knows about um, viruses. And I, to start this off, I want everybody to think about who, who I'm a little dated, so um, you know, I don't know if everyone's seen. Monty Python and Holy Grail. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, everyone knows about uh, Bring Out Your Dead, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Bring Black Out Plague. Your Bring yep. Out Your Dead. Yep. 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 With the wheelbarrow so, and the whole Yeah, yeah. Around. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a funny bit, right? Because it's, you know, dead people. Because it's dead okay. people, and right. they're making silliness about sure. it. But, you yeah. know, there really was a, a, a time when they were driving through, the, rolling through the streets, picking mm-hmm. up the dead, because it was, there was so many. And so... That's kind of an image uh, uh, in the mainstream that has been, you know, in our minds of what happens when things go bad and people start dying fast. And it's part of being human. It's part of the human condition of yeah. being in the world. So we've got more recent um, illnesses that have gone throughout the world that we'll talk about. But uh, it, it, I think it fascinates human humans and it changes human behavior. But to think about, you know, an illness that can infect us and be highly lethal and be spread very easily. Mm-hmm. So we, it happens all the time. Something happens often over in Africa. Some virus is out there that we've never heard of before. People start dying, and the news goes berserk, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to just explore that whole phenomenon. And so let's welcome Dr. Landon Westfall to the show. Welcome, Landon. Yeah, thanks for being having me here. Yeah, of course. Yeah, tell us about you. Where you from? From Birmingham? And Uh, no, sir. I'm uh, born and bred in West Texas. So I uh, went to high school in Odessa, Texas. Went to college in Lubbock, Texas. I'm a Texas Tech Red Raider. So uh, guns up, guns up, guns up. Exactly, wreck them. Yeah, we uh, we're proud of our football in Texas, and uh, you guys are proud here as well. So it was a perfect fit for me. For sure. Sorry, we sent Tommy out there to do everything. Oh, that's that. I'm sorry. That hurt. I did not. I mean, I'm apologizing. Just just keep saying that to me every day. Legitimately apologizing. (laughs) No question about it. Well, I was was telling someone um, today, actually this morning, our friend Heather Milam, I was saying how much. 
much I love West Texas and making that drive in the desert. It's a long way through yeah, the desert, but truck. I love it. I love it. Though. Yeah, it's a, you know it's a, one of the greatest things is, is I went from West Texas to New Mexico where I did my postdocs, and uh, it's going from desert to more desert. And then we had the great vistas with the mountains and beautiful. And then I came out here, and it was literally coming from the driest part of the United States, yeah. to almost the wettest part of the United yeah. States with the humidity. It was just a yeah. culture shock. And then there's trees everywhere, mm. everywhere, yeah. everywhere. And so the first time I got here, I was like, there's shade everywhere. And in, in West Texas, you like you park your car five yeah. miles from the store because there's a tree. Right. Here, if there's the, not a tree somewhere here, it's because we cut it down. That, or there's a tornado <laughs> that came through. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Right. So, yeah. no, it's the truth. I yeah, mean, it, it was, there are uh, trees everywhere. Yeah, but I've been, I've been so impressed with Alabama, especially Birmingham. I mean, I got into the history of it when I got here. And uh, just the, the history from the early ages of the iron ore and then yeah. how it's it's progressed and how it was the sure. central thing. So it was really a nice uh, nice fit for me to come and back. And so your background is in contagious things? Yeah, or? so infectious disease. Uh, I always had a fascination with things that can infect a person and uh, potentially take their life in seven days. And so yeah. uh, it's something that's fascinated me from just simple, why do I get a pus in my infection when I cut when I was a child to... You know, how does a virus enter so small and then within three to four days a person is in, in mortal? Uh, or in the case of the, uh, uh, what's the movie, The Stand, where people died while playing ping pong uh, very yeah. quickly, uh, which was really, to me, a flaw in the writing of that film. Yeah, yeah but we'll, we'll let Stephen King. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Yeah, we'll um, so I know we've got a lot to talk about. Right, right. Are we just going to focus on viruses or is this also about bacteria like super bacteria because that's in, that's in the news now too as far as I you can it's all fair game yeah okay. we can yeah. talk about anything in he, he's a, a virologist a bacteriologist yep um, i've done it microbiologist he's he's all those nice yeah. covered all anything we want to talk about that's in the microbe form i have a feeling he can help us out with that between you two dr westfalls we can cover everything that's right like anything <laughs> we want to know it seems like we've got it covered between what the, the westfalls do right <laughs> barely so <laughs> yeah. we're doing that thing we do where we hang out with dr mark westfall but it turns out we have another dr westfall here with us tonight we're talking about uh at mcqueen science center in birmingham they're showing the movie contagion right right yep um, next which, week if, as you could guess is about um, a contagious virus that spreads and, mm. and so uh new dr westfall that's here with us dr uh, landon is a specialist in all of those virus and microbiology and uh, bacteria, right? Yeah, he's actually the one in charge of deciding which virus is going to infect us for the year. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh. And, then, oh. and then they turn around and come up with a vaccine for the virus. It's really <laughs> a go. very Perfect. planned thing. He's yeah. paid a lot by it's pharmaceutical a companies. profit deal. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. All yeah. Right. Uh, sure so. enough. So. Um, all right, where do you want to start? Well, so I like to start with the basics, right? So everybody kind of comes to this with a... a, a sound fund of knowledge so i was asking um our intern anna during the break and i asked my son actually before this you know do you know what the difference is between a bacteria and a virus and do you know what a pandemic or an epidemic is and most people don't they know that they're like anna said infectious particles that make you sick right Mm -hmm. but then like what's the difference and you know the doctors will give you medicine for one a bacteria and really don't give you much medicine for the other for the for the common viruses so um, I thought we'd just start with that a very basic description. Not, we're not going to go to microbiology class, but just a base, basic description of what those two things are um, from uh, Landon Westfall. So wh- what is the difference between a virus and a bacteria? What, what are these things? Well, the, you know, the fundamental difference when it comes down to it is that viruses require a host in order to survive. And that can be true for some bacteria, but for the majority of the bacteria, they do not. So they can live on their own, multiply on their own. Bacteria, bacteria can. can. Absolutely. Viruses have to be in something 
For the most part, yes. Okay. All the pathogens that affect humans are going to have to have a human host and or an animal host in order for that to happen. They cannot survive for long times outside. There's some really interesting anecdotes about how viruses, once they get on a surface, because you, as you know, for transmission purposes, if you touch a knob, they always tell you to wipe your knobs off, things of that nature, because viruses can stay viable, but they can't replicate because they gotcha. need a host in order for that So they to can happen. live a little while. Yep. We take them in that way often, but they can't Re, uh, duplicate or replicate themselves so they can't live long term outside of the, of the host. Absolutely. Okay. And then you could even go as far to say that with a virus, there's no active metabolism going on until they actually get into a host, whereas a bacteria can grow in pond water or and cheese and things of that nature yeah. because mm -hmm. there's, a, there's nutrient sources. But for viruses, that's when you know, microbiologists for many years have been arguing at some instances about whether a virus is alive versus a bacteria because the virus can only function if it's inside of a host, whereas a bacteria can survive outside yeah. of it. And let me clarify, it, it's been a long time, but viruses can also enter and infect bacteria? Where they enter there into are it bacterial viruses called okay. phages, and okay. actually, phage bacteria or phage uh, viruses are actually been used to actually combat some of the superbugs that are out there. It's getting uh, a lot of it's catching on in Europe right now. They're doing a lot of clinical trials, but that's actually a answer to antimicrobial resistance or antibiotic resistance. Yeah, okay. is to use phage there because they do not affect humans or eukaryotic cells or things gotcha. of that nature. So, okay, so you're going and target just what you. Uh, what you wanted to potentially, if you were especially all able to alter those phages, you I could. think they're using yeah. CRISPR to There's sort a, of look at that. Yeah, a little technique called phage display, in which yeah. you think of it as tendrils for a virus, or if you think about the the uh, kind of uh, tentacles that kind of they're yeah. how they attach to a bacteria, then. Uh, you can actually inject them into the bloodstream when you have septicemia, and they can go after us. There's a little bit more complications yeah, okay. medical and that, but it's quite cool. All right, so viruses get into a host, say a human or a flea or a monkey or a bird or whatever. A it, tick. Tick, <laughs> and lives there. Mm, ticks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Re replicates itself, and then we can get infected when that virus either we can catch it from the host like a like a tick or we can catch it in the air if it's airborne there's different ways it can get inside us right? yeah not all viruses are airborne uh, most viruses you're going to get like bloodborne uh, viruses such as ticks or mosquitoes uh, multiple types of mosquitoes we have those around here um, those will be directly as the the animal or the insect parasite however you want to call it feeds on you uh, part of that regurgitation that happens from the insect's mouth will allow some of the viruses to actually get into your blood system that way. Uh, West Nile is a good example. Lyme disease is a good example. Uh, Rocky Mountain spot and fever, uh, which is primarily on bacteria, but still those are good examples of how that happens. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and so what happens, uh, well, so we have viruses are, are all around us all the time, as are bacteria, but let's focus on viruses first. Yep. So viruses are around us all the time, and we'll go through a season of having the flu every year. The flu comes back around. But every now and then, we have a really big spike in the number of people getting a condition. And that's when it takes over. That's when it transitions from a flu season to what they call an epidemic. Correct. Yeah. So the definition of epidemic is a abnormal rise in disease in a certain population. So one could say that influenza in the United States and pretty much around the world could be considered what we call endemic, which is always there. But then there are going to be these spikes, which in the past couple of years, you've noticed that the flu seasons have been quite nasty. Right. Those, if you look at some of the uh, epidemiological data from the CDC, will actually show the increased rise in disease in, uh, in 
indices, yeah, instances okay. that would show that there is local and sporadic, and then epidemic levels, uh, and then as they collaborate out, then you you go off to the next. So after so epidemic is in a certain region, and then if it goes global, yes, what do we call that? Call that a pandemic. Pandemic. I was gonna guess that. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we got from endemic to epidemic to pandemic. Does it have to go global to be pandemic? Or like what if it just stretched across a continent? Would that be a... No, usually by the definition that if it's in the United States, it's still an epidemic. Okay. Uh, If it goes to Canada and goes down to South America, which we will in our modern times, it will easily spread. Then once it gets around the world and gets into other continents, it's going to be labeled as a pandemic. But usually the conditions of that will be the same... Uh, causative agent uh-huh. is going to be detected in both locales. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that's I think what the world becomes, or what people and the media kind of help us become frightened about is mm-hmm. something just going global and you know wiping us out or a significant numbers of us. And it's happened in history, right? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, the there's been times when obviously it didn't wipe us out, but it has taken out a huge percent, um, and so. What's, tell us about that. What's the most famous worldwide uh, loss of life due to a microbe? Well, there's actually two. Now, one is I'm going to be a little bit partial to because I currently am, He's got his research favorites. it. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do have a favorite of death. But the one that everyone kind of remembers is the Black Death. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the one that there's been the boogeyman about that it will go through and decimate villages along the lines and it, it caused is that the to, same as the bubonic plague yes it okay. is yeah it's the same the black death is the pandemic that's what they labeled that pandemic as the black death but it is the bubonic plague and the bubonic plague just for trivia purposes bubonic is you have lymph nodes that are in a certain part of the body called the buboes and those are the ones that usually inflame and swell hence bubonic plague swollen buboes yes exactly swollen buboes let's just go ahead and use there that as a, as a is band that where boo boo came from <laughs> yeah. I, so, might as well yeah. so the black death killed mm. something like 200 million people People, uh, That's over a lot. Its time, over uh, what span? Uh, yeah, across Europe primarily. In what time span? Um, I would say that somewhere around about a decade okay. of time. Mm. Uh, maybe a little bit less. I mean, there, there's you know the written history back then was yeah. And when like, was that? What were the years there? 14th century. Yeah. So that's a lot of people because, I mean, I recently watched this video of like the spread of people around the globe yeah. and whatever and how few, how many fewer people there were back then than there are now. Correct. Like 200 million. It was a large lot. percent of the population. Yeah, I think it's like something like 60% of Europe. Wow. I think it's what the Good statistics grief. came down. Which is where everyone pretty much lived. Yeah, at that time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you know, that the interesting about the Black Death is that was the third bubonic plague uh, pandemic uh, of of bubonic plague it had originated even back in the early of egypt and uh, mm-hmm. uh greece days they have the antonian um, um uh, pandemic that they think was either linked to the bubonic plague possibly maybe smallpox but bubonic plague had been on the earth for many many years and before it, that was viral that's viral no, bubonic is a, is a bacteria it's a bacteria yeah. how about that yeah, yeah. the yeah. Did they fight it off those past two times? Like, what what happened? Yeah, so they didn't. So the interesting thing is that antibiotics, as we know them today, were not discovered until 1928. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. yeah. So, so how was, did it stop? Yeah, no. so there was some draconian methods that were employed in order to do that. That meant burning. Bring out your dead. Yeah, bring out oh, your dead. Yeah. Uh, that's where the plague masks come into play. Mm. Um, but they would bring out the dead. They would burn them. They would burn villages. They didn't know how it was transmitting. The medical, um, you know, expertise at that time was limited to a lot of 
religious and uh, fantastical type of ideas. And so they would, they, the only reason they knew they could stop is if they burned everything down. And fire will sterilize everything. Yeah, sure. Mm. <laughs> It'll um, do it. It'll yeah. do the trick, yeah. yeah. Ultimately, that it was discovered that it was transmitted by fleas that were carried by mice and rats that were going in between the cornfields that were coming into the town because, um, what do we call it, uh, hygiene at that time yeah. didn't have any. I mean, there were buckets that dumped outside windows, and it wasn't just water you know so and my, my understanding i read before i came in so this is not information i walk around knowing but uh was that it, it also it in europe they think it started from travelers from afar on ships that came into the dock and the rats on the ships then came on land is that yeah no that's yeah. that's pretty much i mean it's hard to say one of the original bubonic plagues originated in china uh, the, the spice trade, uh, ships, things of that nature would fly, you know, would sail around the India and the Indian Ocean and come back up through ports of Spain, things of that nature. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, but it took a long time. And, and one of the things that happened was in some of these ports when there was an outbreak is that the captain literally had to report if there were anybody who was sick or feverish mm. or they wouldn't let them in. And that was like the, one of the earliest forms of quarantine for a country was able to stop the ships before they uh, made the dock. So in theory, if we were to have a bubonic plague again, we would be able to uh, treat it with penicillin or something along yes, those lines. very responsive to the right. current antibiotics we have. We have, uh, knock on wood, have not had a whole lot of uh, antibiotic resistance associated with uh, yeah. the bubonic plague. Because it's still around. I mean, they have is. a few hundred cases a year. Yeah, I, like I could, there was a study done at an environmental health institute that tracked it in prairie dogs. Hmm. Um, for those in what Texas will know what that is, the ground squirrels. Uh, ground oh, they're yeah. cute. Yeah. yeah. Like Everyone wants them. to pet them, but they track fleas <laughs> yeah. that were carrying people. Well, I won't touch them, but I like seeing them pop up. Oh, but that's maybe not the same as groundhogs and woodchucks, right? Yeah, that's yeah. These are quite a bit bigger. The, okay. I would say they're bigger. But gotcha. They're, yeah. In Texas, everyone loves to go watch them. Everything's big yeah. in Texas. But it's yes. around, so it's still around. Yeah, it's still around, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, and what was the other one? We talked about that's the Black Plague. What was okay, the, so yeah. so my his favorite. I, was, I his don't want to say my personal favorite because that <laughs> sounds a little dark. But the nineteen eighteen influenza uh, pandemic. Nineteen eighteen. Uh, yeah. That's like recent. Yeah, it uh, it's called the greatest medical holocaust of our time because it killed more people than the Black Death in a short amount of time. Yeah. So it may not have done the overall two hundred million, but it it was estimated between seventy five and one hundred million people died in a short span of like two years. Yeah. Um, and that was because the population had never seen that virus and it was respiratory and it was being, you know. And that's spread. viral. Obviously. That's a viral. That's viral. Yeah. And that's okay. actually, that strain that came about in 1918 is still with us today. Hmm. Now, the great thing about that is, is that the reason why it's mine is because most people don't ever think about it because like, ah, oh, it's just a flu, right? But no, it was a big thing. It actually caused the... Survivor or your uh, lifespan in the United States to drop like 14 years hmm. because of that two-year window. Uh, there was massive economic impact to local and federal and state and government and worldwide because their workforce was either. Now you have to understand, 1918. This is World War One time, so they were either at war where all the doctors and nurses were in the field yeah. to support the soldiers, and then. Uh, or they were back at home, and then you're limited. And if your doctor goes down and you're in small town Alabama that you need to go, there was literally one doctor here in Birmingham that, uh, or a pharmacist actually, not even a doctor, that did not become sick, that was able to support 
the uh, 200,000 people that lived in Birmingham at the time. You know, so wow. when you when you have a bacterial infection, there are antibiotics now. Yeah. Um, and I understand when you get the flu, there's Tamiflu, although I've never fully understood what exactly. I always kind of thought like, well, there's not much you can do about a virus. You just got to wait a virus out, especially in 1918. What could be done to treat the flu if you had a viral infection? Medically, there was a lot of guesses that happened along the time. Yeah. I mean, if you think about if you ever talk to you to the uh, your grandparents or your great grandparents about yeah. how do you treat everything? When I my great grandparents says drink castor oil, it cures everything. Right, right. So they had these types of I don't call them snake oil, but they had some things that they would use. Uh, one of the folk things remedies. That, yeah, and one of them that I found in, during my research was they actually used cannabis cigarettes hmm. to treat asthma, hmm. and they thought also they could use that to treat flu because. Uh, the, the actual the origination of the term influenza was coined in Greece, and they called it based on the influence of the stars. There's a Greek word for it, but yeah, it was influence. In, they knew it that when this sickness or plague or malady came around, the stars were in a certain alignment. So they thought it was influenced by the stars. Now we've come a great way from that. We don't right. use the stars anymore to predict disease. But in 1918, again, antibiotics weren't discovered till 1928 so a large portion of the deaths that happen with flu even to this day are not necessarily directly from flu they're from complications right like secondary bacterial infections that can cause pneumonia and, and we believe and most of the the research will show you that most of the deaths that occurred were due to bacterial pneumonia as a complication of flu how yeah, about that last okay. year was an especially uh deadly year I, for, it was yeah, well, yeah there was a friend of mine who lost a sibling who's in great shape, like someone who mm -hmm. exercised every day and passed away pretty quickly yeah. from it. And I just went to my doctor's office one day and was in the elevator yeah. with a, a gentleman who said his son had died that morning. He was like his in son, his 40s or something, The right? son was in his 40s, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that was one of those years yeah. where it was and kind of touching everybody. A lot of viruses come up through the media for attention and whatnot, but the influenza virus, I mean, it takes more lives every year than than yeah. any other virus, right? Most of the population has realized that a normal flu season, you still have 30,000 people that die. It's a lot of uh, people. Yeah, it is. And and, and they, that's why, you know, they, 1918 is considered, you know, the one that's been forgotten because every year, 30, 35,000 people die. A lot of those tend to be the elderly. Some of them tend yeah. to be young. Sometimes you get the one mixed in between, but mm -hmm. most of the time you get 30,000. So when we get a level going up, then you'll get something like 45. And I think this year we had somewhere close to 60. Wow. wow. Gosh, something else. Um, okay, so many more questions in. Uh, listeners questions as well to answer when we come back and we're talking about viruses and bacteria and mm. the black plague and the flu and so yeah and there's so many more questions i hope we can actually get to all of it you have some listener questions yeah too? so let's get to this one let's quickly let's see um okay uh we have a listener that routinely apparently suffers from cytomegalovirus cytomegalovirus yeah what do you know about that so I do know that it's it's part of it. I'm going to say the word that's going to freak some people out, but it's a part of the herpes family. Oh, okay. Um, so, but, but like so many people, right? I mean, it's a like a very large percentage of the population has the herpes. anybody that has a cold sore. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's a so the the virus hides out in the body. It does uh, cold sores. It hides out in a nerve complex that's around your jaw, and so when you get stressed and your immune system goes down a little bit, it can travel down those nerves and cause a cold sore on your lip. So cytomegalovirus, no doubt, 
uh, similar in humans and in in uh, primates, they actually will be a reservoir for the virus. So it's we can we hold viruses and bacteria in our systems that we never get rid of. And as your immune system fluctuates, it causes some of those bacteria and viruses to come a little ornery, and then they break out and they cause an infection. And then you can control that with antivirals or antibiotics. But most of the time, it's usually due to the um, you know stress level or immune system of the person mm. who's experiencing it. Oh, hmm. Okay. Yeah, and you know one concept to help listeners i think is that you know there's so much um focus on and we talked about this in the break about hygiene but we live in a world of thousands of viruses and bacteria actually is critically important for us to live it lines our skin lots of good bacteria it lines our bowel system i mean we live in concert with these microbes so we don't want to eradicate the world of microbes or we would right. be dead. They're yeah. the, they were here before us, and they'll be here after us. Mm. It's part I, of the world. And when I say dude, I mean Dr. Mark. <laughs> I don't know if you know this about me, but I, the, I'm gonna, this was probably 11 years ago. I got really sick at work, like stomach virus sick, but it came on quickly. And I left and went home, and then within three hours thought, uh-oh, I'm dying. It was that kind of like I've yeah, never had. Sudden, like yeah. I have stomach virus. Like I don't need more now that I've had children because I feel like yeah. this immunity has built up. So I'll still get the, like. The, the you think queasy. the birth process helped, or what was that with having children? <laughs> well, here's the thing: because the kids would get stomach viruses all the time, and I would think, of course, still get them all the time. And now it's like when the stomach virus goes around, I feel a little queasy, and that's kind of it usually. Yeah. But either way, growing up, I would always get it, but this was different, and I knew it, and so like. I was on the ground in the bathroom and like my muscles are rolling down my legs. This is within hours of having it. So I get to the hospital and they can't figure it out. They're giving me the fluids and you know doing the whole thing to yeah. keep me like, you know, because I'm, I'm not kidding. I thought like, oh, this is, yeah. this is what dying feels like. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, a friend of mine or just somebody who I knew who happened to be a nurse at the hospital came in and was like, okay, they say that you have C. diff, but that's not possible because, like, well, our old people get C. diff. So like that's C. diff is Clostridium difficile. Yeah. Right. And at that time, really, it was, she was like, it's just, we haven't seen anyone your age. And it was when this new strain of C. diff was going around. Yeah. Um, our grandmother ended up dying from C. diff. It's a bacterium. Yeah, it's a bacteria. But it's so luckily, I didn't have to do this, but they came out months after I had it with the new procedure of... Um, fecal injections Mm -hmm. fecal injections from a direct family member because you have it everybody has it in them but if you get it from somebody else who's not a family member it can over colonize exactly dr mark's point is is that you have bacteria in your gut that maintain control over the other ones that can rather become quite um painful and cause high disease and one of the ways that's been treated that's kind of a recent uh, development on how to treat i swear um, it was months well afterwards. and luckily as will can tell you we have plenty of family members who are full of donation donation i'll tell you a little bit yeah. of an anecdote though uh in africa in the middle eastern areas they mm. actually eat camel droppings oh. as a way to treat dysentery and a lot of that's where some of the idea was from a that? probiotic standpoint, the very all natural. <laughs> mm. But that's part of the way of, of controlling dysentery without having any type of medical knowledge. They were able to show that that helped. To I'm very and, anti those probiotics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they thought I got it. Well, they don't know. But I mean, we obviously I had to deal with a lot of research at that point because they were trying to it was still new that people my age were getting this. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the theories was I was at a job at that point where 
I was having to count money, like thousands of bills every day, and I'd lick my fingers and do that. And so someone oh. had gone to the restroom, apparently, and yeah, how disgusting is that? I, I, I'm not a germaphobe, but there are <laughs> I'm not either, but that's that a thing. Money gets I'm around. Like, <laughs> that's a thing. So then I ended up being like the, the lady at the bank where I would just rub my fingers into the thing uh, every day and... That's how mm. I count the money. And then I'd like dip them in bleach when you're done. <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs> crazy stuff. Really yeah. crazy. Um, all right. So there's that. Um, I want to talk about the use of antibiotics. Yeah. Because I know several people, and I had a doctor at one point, a pediatrician, before my fantastic pediatrician, who I won't name any of them. But my early on, like anything, and again, as an asthmatic child with serious allergies anytime i went in i was like well here's your antibiotic so luckily my mom was like no we're gonna not gonna do this any longer um but that's a problem right when people just take z-packs or antibiotics for for just every small thing absolutely it's more often than not you'll get a frantic mother that calls the pediatrician and says my child has an earache or my child has an eye doctor never sees the kid to make a definitive diagnosis because it could be viral right uh, there are many other childhood viruses that kids get at daycare or they get at kindergarten things of that nature that can cause the same type of like pink eye or things of that nature and they'll automatically just throw off antibiotics at the beginning and then the mother calls back and it's not getting any better and the doctor says, well it must be viral but do you need to do that initial prescription because there are a lot of studies out there that have suggested that not only have they uh, exposed the young bacteria in a child to the antibiotic at a very young age, that they're going to be with them for a long period of time, actually teaches them along the way when you start doing this multiple prescription for antibiotics. And so when I was growing up, and society has changed and recognized that, but when I was a kid... Of course, he was in Texas, and they were <laughs> a little tougher there. Yeah, right? you, you just survived, right? right? You, know? you literally rubbed dirt on it. Yeah, yeah. so you know they, they literally would say, you know, so we, we suffered for a little bit, and then only after to the point to where you got to the delirium stage did you go to the hospital, that kind of stuff. But the antibiotics were not as freely prescribed as they are today, and that's mostly because society in the fast-paced nature needs to have that quick fix. I need to get right. the kids so it stops Wants yelling at me. It. Things that, right. Yeah. So it's not always required. I, I always When friends always tell me, it's like, my kid's not feeling well, he's got a fever. I said, well, let it run its course. I mean, that's what the yeah. immune system's for. Right. Uh, track the fever. Don't let it get too high. Things of that nature. You know, let it go up to a certain degree. And then once it does, give the time all to bring it back down. If the child starts to get dehydrated, things of that nature, then take them in so they can get fluids. Things of this common sense approaches to try to help that prevent that. That seems like the way to do it. Yeah, because your immune don't. system is amazing for that. I mean, it just chomps up everything. And what other people don't realize is anything you come in contact with in the air or you touch, you put in your mouth, everything that happens is exposed to your immune system. Your immune system is right. exposed to tons of stuff. It could be a chip from the wood or it could be dirt. Yeah. But it'll still expose it, and it'll generate a response to it. And a lot of times the allergy idea is the more you're exposed to something, the more your immune system ignores it. That's what allergy shots It's like my do, alarm yeah. clock in right. the morning. It's just, right. yeah. eventually <laughs> just, uh, just ignore it. But, it's just a thing, yeah. But eventually your immune system will stop recognizing and having a reaction to it. And uh, my good pediatrician, which ended up luckily being my children's pediatrician as well, I mean, we were having a discussion with her early on about like, oh, daycare, like, hey, I'm going to be sick all the time. And she's like, well, get it out of the way. It's going to happen when they start school later or now. Like, yeah, they're going to be exposed to things and you know, like, might as well go ahead and deal with it. And we did. And that was the thing. I mean, the kids were sick a bunch and so was I. And but it's fine. Then it was done, and they have lived relatively healthy lives since. And that's good because it's probably harder to be extremely angry at a toddler for making you sick as opposed to like a seven-year-old. Oh, yeah. man. Nothing yeah. worse than waking up with a baby in a crib with vomit everywhere. Mm -hmm. It is a 
which is a helpless feeling. Yeah. 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 No, that'll challenge you. I, I tell parents, you make it through the young and years, and you survive it, then right? You're going to live forever. Home yep. free, pretty <laughs> much. Yeah, pretty much. All right. So we've kind of established then that we live in concert with these microbes, right? Yeah. And and we shouldn't overreact when we get infected. It's hard to think about that on an individual level. But when you look at it on a societal level, we understand the need not to overact and not to overuse right. these, these medications. So let me then go to, th- we live in this endemic kind of uh, state of getting sick, fighting it with your immune system, getting better. But then every now and then something becomes a, a virus typically, gets to a state where we suddenly can't fight it. What is going on from the vi- viral level? What happens to suddenly make something difficult to fight whereas you're in and you're out we're fighting it, and suddenly something changed what's happening so the biggest thing about it is and i'll go back and i'll tie it into the 1918 into the current flu seasons as an as examples but in the 1918 one of the the rare things that happened that doesn't really happen today with our flu season is that it was the young and healthy that were dying Normally, it's the young and the, and the old. It's the very young and the very but this old. Was hitting compromised the, immune systems. Yeah. Right. This was hitting healthy, healthy young people. strong, robust young men in the Army getting yeah. ready to train. They would go down. Uh, and the reason that happens is, is that the immune system is great, but it also can be a napalm bomb. It'll go off. And if you can't control that type of rage from an immune response, mm. from an infection, it will go off and cause secondary uh, mm. issues. And that can cause you to be even more sick. So it's the sometimes I think what you're saying is it's the reaction our body has to the virus yep. that is sometimes more damaging mm. to us than the virus itself. Is that what you're saying? It can, because what it does is it depletes itself. Your, your body is a machine, and as the immune system cranks out and goes into this rage mode because something hit it hard and it's throwing the kitchen sink at it, then your body gets tired. You, you know how tired you get after you have your initial fever. You Most of the time when you get the flu, it's really a two-day event, but you're rested because you're dog tired. Yeah. Yeah. It takes your body five days, so it's just that overreaction. But what happens to the virus to suddenly make this strain of flu yep. so much more virulent than the ones we've been having the last you know 50 years? Yeah, well, there's two things. Is One thing is if it's a new strain, your body's never seen it, so it has a head start on your body. So it can get in, it can start replicating, it can start doing its massive load. Some viruses actually will hide out from your immune system. They'll get in the cells, they'll hide out for a couple of days, you know, drink a cold beer or something. And then all of a sudden they'll just explode like a geyser. And then your body will be overwhelmed because it can't respond to everything because the secondary infections from that initial infection are going everywhere. And it just hasn't seen it yet, so it can't fight it. So that's one of the issues that happens with a new virus strain is that your body just becomes overwhelmed, but it still fights. And then another thing is that it may be an acquired, uh, you know, resistance to something, or it may be a the chain, virus acquired a yeah, resistance, or it's modified itself to where the body now it may not be as pathogenic, but the body can't see it because it's modified one of its receptors or its alerts that the the proteins on the outside, and the body will take it'll take long to decipher it, and then at that point it allows it to grow in your in it virus gets in there it's exponential growth and allows it to get a foothold before your immune system kicks in and then you need supportive care so question do viruses change their morphology uh more uh rapidly and frequently i guess than bacteria in other words do they change shape and we have more trouble keeping up with the different types of viruses more so than we do with the different types of bacteria 
Absolutely, because viruses get inside your cells, and each person is unique. I mean, we may share common DNA, but the way your body expresses things or how your cells interact with each other are going to be unique to you. Your biochemistry is unique. So I always tell people that if I was to give you a flu virus straight out of a cell culture and put it in your body, the one that I get out of your body will be different. Because it uses your you, body yeah, to it reproduce. it uses your body. So and, whatever yeah. is on your, because when it buds out of your cells or when it leaves your cells, it's going to take a little bit of you with it. And it's going to change slightly. And so each virus has that capability to do it. Some viruses don't. I mean, you can take like yeah. rabies, for example. Rabies will, is a very stubborn virus, very big virus. will just, you know, obliterate things in front of you. But flu viruses and, and some of these other viruses that will get in and, and, and change like they do rapidly, they will. A good example is um, the flu virus changes yearly. We know that. That's when we got to get a flu vaccine. But one virus that you might have heard recently about is like dengue virus. Yeah. And there are like four different serotypes, four different types of viruses for that. Whereas flu, we have thousands of different types. Uh, but that dengue virus has stayed stable because as it passes through the humans, it uses it doesn't change as much as the flu virus hmm. will. We have the head of the bio department from UAB he comes on the show every two weeks, and he is a major proponent, as we are, but he actually has the science behind it, uh, that people should be getting the flu shot and that it helps and that even if the strain is wrong, it doesn't matter. It'll still help, and it could help the next year or maybe even the year after that. Uh, there are still people, though, that resist it because they feel like it's going to make them sick. Uh, their yeah. science d does not support that yeah, theory. Correct. So I will tell you that in 2016 – no, two, or two years ago, 2017, when we had the nasty H3N2 strain that came out, I got the flu vaccine and I got the flu. Yeah. Now, I took Tamiflu and yeah. Tamiflu worked great, but I got it and I did it. But what it did is my, my sickness was only a couple days. I was back on my feet in, in three days. And so that's the most important thing that even the vaccine doesn't do 100% on the protection of it, it still can attenuate mm -hmm. the disease and your time that you're going down. So the vaccine itself is not alive it doesn't cause you to get sick you will be you'll have a allergic or immune response to it not allergic response i would phrase that to immune response at the site of injection it'll feel warm your body will feel like it'll go into a response and so you may feel like you get a little bit of a fever but it's not because you're being infected or becoming sick that's your body's natural response to the vaccine yeah i i tell you i not for any reason I just one year didn't take it, and this was probably six years ago, and I got the flu that year. It was too late for the Tamiflu. Well, it was a week and a half where I felt mm -hmm. just terrible, and I will never again, first yeah. of all, miss the flu shot, but also I will never again not go to the doctor first, you know, within that first 24 hours. And you have 48 where yep. you can really take Tamiflu. But if I'm still feeling crummy at 24 hours, I'm going because Tamiflu makes such a huge difference. How does that work? What does Tamiflu do? Because in my knowledge, and like Reed said earlier, you can't treat a virus. Exactly. So what this is, this is considered an antiviral. But where it acts in the body is, is your body's infected. You're not going to prevent that unless you're able to uh, have the vaccine to help curtail it. But even then, once it gets into the body, what the Tamiflu allows or prevents to happen is that it can't spread. Okay. So when you get it on board within a certain amount of time, because once you get uh. the, the fever response, your body's already alerted. And so they know there's an infection. But you get it there and you get it on board, it will prevent that from doing secondary infections and can potentially go into the lungs. Because right now, the flu virus primarily will replicate in the what we call the upper respiratory tract, so your nasal passages, uh, your you know the back of your throat, things of that nature. Yeah. But as you aspirate, as you breathe through your mouth because your, your nose is clogged, you can aspirate that into your lungs. And what you want to prevent mm. is the virus from spreading, and that allows your immune system to target those cells and, and then eradicate the virus. Mm. All right. How about that? Zinc. 
Zinc. Yes. What, what, zinc and viruses. I'm a proponent. Yep. I personally feel like when I feel one coming on, if I can take the lozenges quick enough and coat my throat, I think it's toxic for the viruses directly. Is that, is that accurate? Don't tell me if it's I'm, not because placebo effect is a real <laughs> thing. It's really important. I know. I'm, I'm, so, yeah, that's actually, there's actually some good research behind showing that zinc is actually more effective at curtailing uh, cold flu and flu viruses than taking vitamin C. Uh, vitamin C. <laughs> this is what I take. <laughs> yeah. Vit Everyone takes vitamin C. It's great for your kidneys. Congratulations. Oh, but sweet. ultimately, when you see a cold flu coming on, you feel it coming on, you start cranking out the zinc. You don't necessarily have, you can do supplements if you want, uh, or you can do it naturally with flu, food and things of that nature. But, you know, about a couple years ago, the Zycam came out with a coating that you could do in your nasal passages, things of that nature. What it does is it actually inhibits the virus from actually binding to the cells. Mm. So that zinc, there are what they call zinc fingers. Uh, which are uh, little receptors in which immune cells function with and things of that nature. So it allows for that interaction to be enhanced. And it also is more of like a barrier or a steric hindrance from the standpoint of just blocking things mm -hmm. um, from actually binding when you have that extra zinc in there. And then your immune system is going to respond with a more robust response because zinc is an active function in the immune response. Hmm. How about that? There you go. All right. It's all super interesting. All right. So do we need to worry about another pandemic another black plague is there something out there you think that could or another spanish flu yeah something that could, <laughs> could do what has you know been secretly done honestly i mean does part of you want to see a little bit of that so you can cure it i mean yeah well as a virologist is like you know i don't want a spanish flu to come around but if it does i want to be the man who takes it, it down i mean there's a little bit from of that. the science side of it it's it's fascinating to yeah. me and i won't lie to that i mean from the impact of it i don't want to see the yeah. impact but the science side of it so you know the next big thing i mean you'll know it was a couple years ago when ebola broke and mm. the federal government and then their people were being shipped on planes everyone was freaking out right um and people were dropped off in dallas they're dropped off at hospitals walter reed all that stuff sure yeah. so everyone thought that that was gonna be the next big thing and the government threw a ton of funds behind it to do the research to get um you know antivirals and vaccines developed so that we could protect the population because that's what uh, a lot of the nih does and, and dhs does flu is always going to be a constant problem because it just circulates throughout the population and then we have birds and then we have pigs and now we have bats and then we have all this other stuff that flu hides out in and in china right now we see a new strain of flu pop up almost on a monthly basis it doesn't affect humans yet but they've done bird population studies hmm. we've seen three strains that the, uh, the population in general have never heard about that have infected people and all those strains are identified by the National Institutes and DHS and all the government agencies. And then they start a pandemic preparedness program, which is what I'm a part of, to help develop the next vaccines in case one of those strains were to break into it. So you're in the strain. lab trying, come, trying to come up with vaccines to fight all these new up-and-coming viruses. That's kind of what you do. Yeah, I actually uh, analyze serum samples from clinical trials that have done these vaccine preparations that are at the behest of the federal government. So I get to see the results and how, how well that we respond wow. and see what's going on out there. And yeah, there's always a potential for the next Black Death to happen. But what's changed is we now have antibiotics, we now have medical care, we have medical technology. We know how to prevent disease from being spread. Yeah. Um, and, and we have you know, disinfectants. Right. And a lot of that wasn't around in the 19th and 17th century when all this was happening. So are, so am I hearing, I mean, obviously we should be worried about flu and the many varieties of flu, but what about superbugs? We talked about that earlier. Are you worried about that? 
So there's there's some concern about um, uh, multidrug resistant tuberculosis. Yeah. Uh, tuberculosis is an endemic disease that you'll find in still in this to this day and in poor countries, uh, it's endemic there. And, and as we get, uh, it'll start to spread, but they're now starting to see these multi-drug resistance pop up and now spread into Europe, into uh, the UK and things of that nature. Uh, there's a big push right now um, by the federal government and other agencies to discover the next round of antibiotics to help be susceptible. Right. But that's also looking at new ideas and technologies to help curtail that. It's not only just tuberculosis, you also have um, hospital-acquired infections. Mm. Everyone, to this day, if I have to have surgery, I'd rather they do it out in the barn than in the hospital because they're the bacteria. That's where bacteria. All the bugs are. <laughs> but in the bacteria, yeah, in, in the yeah. hospital, that's where everyone congregates. And they do their best. They clean. It's, it's one of the best places, yeah. but it's just everywhere. Yeah. And so that's a big push right now is to try to how do we make things more sterile so we can prevent those type of superbugs from spreading. Find a, find a good medium because there yeah. was a day before sterilization where patients were dying like crazy in surgery because it, stuff wasn't sterile. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, we get back into that other idea of people were actually more robust in the 1800s oh. compared to how they are today. I because mean, they're exposed to yeah, things. You're constantly under, your body was constantly being challenged and so it was always ready to go. But there's also that story about Garfield who you know, was basically killed by the doctors who kept poking their fingers in him looking for a bullet. Yeah, it wasn't I mean, it's a, it's a assassin. Yeah. He's also full of lasagna. Mondays. <laughs> Yeah. But you know, it wasn't even the bullet that killed him. It was the, it was no, the people it was just the poking around. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know what? The there's really some really cool uh, stories about how all this came about. But yeah. really, uh, sterile dressings and doing surgery under sterile conditions was not really thought of until right. early 1900s, yeah. late 1800s, and that was because of some pioneers in the field. Yeah. Pretty good, I think. Radio Lab on that. Yeah, I think this is where I, where I listened. Really to interesting. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, great stuff. Hey, don't forget, you can find all of these episodes that we do here with Dr. Mark Westfall under the podcast, Let's Think On It. They usually come out a couple of days after we record this, so this one was super interesting. I've been thinking about this in a bunch lately. I heard an NPR piece on it the other day. and Mm -hmm. Yeah, just great stuff. So Dr. Mark Westfall, Dr. Landon Westfall, and you can go see Dr. Landon Westfall at the McWayne Science Center next Thursday. Absolutely, yep. Be there next Thursday. What time is that? I think it's 7 o'clock that they're going – or. I'm actually may have misspoke mm. of that. Yeah, I think that's probably around six. Look at that starter, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that's going to be the 30th of May if people are listening Correct. to this online. Yeah. So great stuff. Awesome. Yeah, Thank you guys so much. Hey, Reed, let's take uh, just a couple of minutes here to talk to Anna. Okay. The last few minutes with right. Anna here yeah. on the show. Hey, what a pleasure this has been. Seriously. Yeah. We've had some terrible interns. In the past, <laughs> just some real crummy interns, and uh, you're not one of those. You can put me on the list. No, 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 no you're <laughs> not one of those. You've been it's a good funny. one. Yeah, you reached out. Uh, it was a bit of a different situation than a lot of our interns. You were just, you know, looking for something you thought would be a cool career mm-hmm. choice, and you heard Heather on the morning show. Yep, you and Heather. Yeah, and Reg. Of and course. Reg, yeah, of course. And um, and so yeah, we're we're glad you did, and it has worked out fine. But you are moving on to something different, yeah. in a different, uh, different state even. Mm-hmm. So I'd feel bad if you were moving like down the road to do something yeah. different. You're like, hey, I'm going to Homewood to no. do something different. But this no. has been awesome. Like I can't even tell you how cool this has been. Well, yeah, yeah, it's been great for us. We're going to miss you. You've done a great job indeed. Well, thank um, you. No yeah. question. You have to promise to come back and hang out. I don't Pinky know what's going to, I mean, you don't have family here. You I promise don't. you'll come back? I, I have friends. I have a few friends. Yeah. Okay. You two included. We're your friends. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, we'll hold you to that. And if we're ever down there on the coast, we'll we'll come and see you. Yeah, please do. So, all right. Great stuff. Anna, you will be missed. Thanks again to both of the Dr. Westfalls. Go check out the podcast. Let's think on it. We've covered over the last few years so many ridiculous 
ridiculously interesting topics. We have, yeah. yeah there's no question. Yep. So you can mm-hmm. find almost anything you care about there under Let's Think On It. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio, 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com, or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers. 